the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Who writes all that stuff anyway? Good, good afternoon. Good to have you on board with us. It is Thursday, third day of August, in case you weren't keeping track. And just about five minutes after 5 p.m. on your Thursday ride home, Craig Roberts with you, keeping you company, as we do each weekday afternoon at this time. Lots to talk about on today's program. Coming up a little bit later on, speaking about uh, going back to school, some kids perhaps a bit fearful, a bit weary. Maybe they've been the target of bullying and you're wondering, how can I deal with this? I mean, there are laws in place against bullying, things of this sort. But is there a way to make our kids more bully resilient? Well, best-selling author... Dr. Brooks, Brooks Gibbs will join us on the program. We'll talk about exactly why bully-free zones don't always work and what you can do to help your child become more resilient when it comes to dealing with bullies. Hot topic, certainly, as the kids go back to school here in, what, barely, maybe three three weeks or so. Uh, we start the program off tonight with a bit of an update. We have been following a story that perhaps began clear back in November of 2016. To refresh your memory, California voters, by 50 57% margin voted to approve recreational marijuana use in California. As of January of this year, there were approximately 866 licensed stores across the state. And uh, recently in the East Bay community of Union City, they voted to approve the city's third recreational marijuana store. The first one, I understand, to be permitted in an area that is largely residential. To get some insights as to why this decision, let's talk with Councilmember Jaime Patino. And Councilmember Patino, we sure appreciate you carving some time out of your schedule to, to visit with us today. I, I guess to kind of lead off, walk us through. Union City, not a huge town in comparison to neighboring communities like San Francisco and Oakland that have marijuana recreational stores in the dozens. Union City, the third such store. What went into this decision? Yes, uh, thank you for having me, Mr. Roberts. It's a pleasure to be here and to explain uh, what's, what our thought process was. So in 2018, we took this issue to the voters. The voters approved it overwhelmingly, and we agreed to only open three stores. So contrary to what some of the rumors were out there, we will only, this is our last retail store. And so... Uh, that was the process. The first two were on, if you don't know Union City, it's divided by 880. So on the west side of 880, there are two locations, retail locations. We wanted to diversify things, so we, we said the next one, the final one, needs to be on the east side. And last year, they, our, our uh, economic development department did a survey. They found locations. And it went to the planning commission. They approved the locations. And then it went to us, and we approved the locations. All the neighbors there were notified if they were within a certain radius of each location of each area that was 
that was deemed to be okay for re, uh, retail cannabis, they were allowed, they were given notice that we were going to vote. No one spoke up back then. So that this is what, what now we're where we're at right now. Okay, now when you say nobody spoke up, meaning there wasn't much community opposition to, to the placement in that particular location? Well, there were a, a few locations that were that were named, but the city did proactive outreach to the people in the vicinity that worked that, that lived there to let them know that this was going to be considered. You know, invited them to attend not only the planning commission meeting but the city council meeting. No one attended, and so I, I wanted to put that out there because a lot of people think that we just did this in the dark, the cover of night. It did not happen that way. I understood, and I realized too that there, you know, there are regulations governing, you know, how you need to do things, the Brown Act, and all of that. So that 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 that's understood. I guess my question is this: the reports that we have heard, and what I understand is that there was a pretty decent crowd at the city council meeting the night that this was decided upon, that brought about a lot of vocal opposition to this. All people from apparently that that district, that section of Union City, and the vast majority of those that spoke out in favor of it either appeared to be people that have been recruited by the permit applicant or were employees of the permit applicant. And I guess the big question, and one of the reasons why we've been following the stories, it seems as if the residents in the neighborhood are steadfastly against it, and yet the city council has voted in favor of this. And one of the things that I think that is a distinction a distinction here, and that is that the, the two previous locations that were permitted, one in Union Landing, the other on Union City Boulevard, are largely in non-residential commercial areas where this particular location literally backs up by maybe 35, 40-something feet to an entirely residential neighborhood. So I guess the big question is there seems to be there was either a lack of input from the community during the early stages of the the decision-making process by the council or, as some have suggested, it seems as if the council just simply ignored the wishes of the residents that would be the most impacted by the presence of a dispensary of this sort. And, and yes, and I do understand uh, the uh, their concerns. And let's also let me also put out there: we ended up finding out that one of the people, one of the groups that were passing out the flyers to the neighbors in the area, were actually one of the, the companies that actually applied for one of the permits and did not get it. So that 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 raises a big a big question there had they received the uh the 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 uh, permit would they have been against them re- receiving their own permit it, it you know so there there's a little there was a lot of mis- there was a lot of misinformation out there when it came to that a lot of the people when they when they you talk about cannabis they think of marijuana they think of a uh, bad Cheech and Chong movie. They don't think about older people that like my grandmother who's almost ninety four they get the, the cream for her arthritis on her knees. They don't think about some people that uh, need uh, that take a gummy at night just so they can sleep because they have insomnia. They are thinking just about a bunch of whacked out hippies smoking weed and, and getting stoned all the time. That is not what is happening here. And I've, I've actually asked a lot of the people that have reached out to me. If you, you haven't, if you haven't been to a cannabis uh, retail cannabis store, please come with me, and I'll show you the protocols in place. One to make sure that it's, that kids don't have access to the store, and two that it's not just smoking weed. There are other things there for people of all different uh, with all different ailments, whether it be arthritis, insomnia, cancer patients that need uh, uh, to get their appetite for chemo. 
after chemo. So it's not just like I said, a bad Cheech and Chong movie. No, and and, and your your point is a very valid one, and I, and I don't know necessarily that the, the the concern that has been raised is necessarily over the medicinal uh, benefits related to cannabis. I mean, you know, e- even people that suffer from glaucoma have received benefits from it. I think yes. the concern is the kind of violent potential robberies and or burglaries that this tends to attract. And you know that there was a active shooting that happened at one of the cannabis stores, the one there located in the Union City Landing area. Within two weeks of the council making this decision, the other store on Union City Boulevard had an automobile driven into the front doors. And and even organizations like the National Cannabis Risk Management Association has been reporting that pot stores across the country have been taking the place of essentially liquor stores and convenience stores because they're easy targets. They've got quick money, limited security. They're open to the public. And they sell a very valuable product. And because the fact that the the so-called Safe Banking Act continues to get uh, blockage in the Senate, this is largely, in many cases, a entirely cash-related business. And so I think what residents are looking at is not necessarily an objection to the existence of the store. To the research I've done, I don't think there was nearly as much concern over the location in Union Landing or on Union City Boulevard. It's the location and what these stores tend to attract in terms of robberies and violent crime. Well, Mr. Roberts, the current robberies that have occurred at at, uh, cannabis retail outlets are symptoms of the overall increase in crime we have seen across the state and the nation. This has been caused by legislatures that pass weak on crime bills and that lower penalties for certain offenses, such as theft and robbery. And it's further exacerbated by woke DAs that advocate for more advocate more for the criminal than for the actual victims. So, I mean, yes, but it's happening everywhere. It's happening at at Walmart. There was a lockdown at Walmart a couple weeks ago in Fremont because of a a gang of about 10 cars going down 880 that was going to do a smash and grab. There there was, last night, there was a car that smashed through a 7-Eleven up 880, I believe it was in Oakland. You know, do we close the Walmarts and the the, uh, 7-Elevens? I think it's more uh, uh, a national trend, a state trend that we're seeing that these weak on crime policies are not working. Well, there's no doubt that there's an uptick in crime across the country and certainly more so in in certain communities like Oakland and San Francisco. And I don't think anybody would would debate that. I think the issue at hand here is the concern that this is being invited into a largely residential neighborhood. The uptick in traffic alone, the city council meeting, the, the, the representative from the Union City Police Department admitted they had done no traffic study. And the applicant is indicating that there could be as many as 800 to 1,200 cars per day in a very congested section of Union City that already suffers on Dakota Road because of ongoing construction and is just a major thoroughfare cutting right through the middle of the city. So I think the concern is not the existence, not trying to deny people access, certainly for the older person or an individual that needs marijuana for medicinal purposes. They can order it online and have it delivered. I think the big objection is why place it so close to a residential neighborhood? You're within less than 100 yards of a retirement community of senior citizens who frequently are walking across the street with their walkers, ignoring traffic. Now you're going to increase traffic by such a significant degree. And you're right. You don't want to close down the Walmart, but Walmart is not typically located across the street or right next to a residential area. Yeah. And one correction, the 800 to 1200, uh, it's clients a day, not vehicles. So 
show because they will also be doing delivery. So a good chunk of that is um, they, they, they will be deliveries. So you will not be seeing eight to 1,200 cars actually going there at a time. And uh, security will be in the parking lot. Security, your security will be 24-7. So there will always be security on site. And one thing I'll tell you too, when uh, when our dispensary opened up over there, well, when the, the dispensary opened up over there in Union Landing, I spoke with the uh, the manager of Chevy's uh, restaurant right across the parking lot, and I said, "How's this doing for your clientele?" He's all, "We love it. We're getting more customers, of course, but our parking lot is safer because people see that we have that there is security out in the parking lot." So there will be a visible security presence in the parking lot there to deter anybody from doing anything. There will be 24-7. Of course, the problem with that is that that that's the case in many of these dispensaries across the state, state, and yet it has not done a thing to weaken or to dissuade people from targeting these kinds of stores. Well, it's, and like I said earlier, it, they're targeting all retail outlets, and it's and it's and it's because the, the consequences of getting caught are so minimum, minimal. We we our officers arrest some people for 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 things that should be serious felonies, and they already have four or five cases pending. They they haven't even had their cases adjudicated. No one's spending time in jail anymore. They're they're just getting a sight and release. That's a that's a bigger systemic issue on our on our weekend on crime. Bills, the week on crime bills that are going, they're getting passed by our state legislature and, and our DAs that just aren't doing their job. No, I, I would concur with you uh, to the greatest degree. But then final question, if that be the case in recognizing this, why permit it in a residential neighborhood? Why not pick another location that is not so so much a, a residential neighborhood? Because if you've got so many people in the community that are concerned about the potential impact of not just traffic, but what this attracts, again, not not suggesting the people that that purchase at the dispensaries are criminals, but these locations tend to attract because of the amount of valuable product they have and largely being a, a predominantly cash business, again, because the SAFE Act continues to fail in the Senate. Uh, I, I think the big question is, okay, of all the locations that you could approve this in Union City, why pick a largely residential area and why not find an area that's more commercial? Well, and like I said earlier, a lot of the people that are that are up in arms about this are people that don't know much about the, the retail cannabis stores in, in general. There are security measures to make sure that the type of things that have happened at other cannabis outlets will not happen. Right, let me ask you a question yeah. then. So having said that, so you're suggesting that there was no security at all at the floor store in Union Landing? No, no. I'm, I, they had they had security. They had twenty four seven security. So that 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 proves my point. That twenty four seven security did not dissuade somebody from going in with a gun and shooting someone as they attempted to rob that store. But security is always evolving. We we you know it's not static. We you know as criminals change their their mo. We we as as government and as businesses have to change how we protect our our assets. So. Uh, yes, Florida did have that, but it, it goes to show that criminals are not being held accountable. I bet you if we were to uh, find the person that did that, that you'd find that they have a long criminal history. They have not been serving any time, and they feel that the, the, the reward is much greater than the risk. 
Oh, so, and, undi- uh, and undoubtedly, from their perspective, it is. I mean, and, and we've certainly seen that case. There was one story out of San Francisco recently where uh, they hit up a store and wound up walking away with over a half million dollars in cash and products. So there's no doubt the fact that they find it uh, attractive. And, and certainly, I don't think most casual robberies are going to take place in the middle of the night at gunpoint. But nevertheless, my point is, it does happen. It is happening. And it seems as if this, again, goes back to the issue that's being raised by the, the residents of the of the area, that this is not so much being against a pot store or even misunderstanding what they really do. I think people are reading the news and coming to a conclusion that this seems to be an inappropriate location for a store of this sort. The fact that there is weak follow-up from the criminal justice system and the DA in Oakland in Alameda County already seems to be in the in the you know in the, the crosshairs for some for a variety of reasons doesn't negate the kind of risk that it brings to a community, and I think that. At the core is the major concern that is being ignored by the Union City Council. So with that, I think we were going to run into a bit of a, a bit of an endless loop there. So we appreciate Councilmember Jaime Patino for being with us today and uh, getting a chance to uh, talk a bit about this subject matter. Uh, perhaps you have your own thoughts and ideas. I mean, any of us can certainly look at what's going on in the news, read the number of stories related to an uptick in crime related to these kind of stores. I wasn't going to take the council member's time to go through it, but let me just give you a little perspective. California Street cannabis company in San Francisco last year burglarized, lost $100,000 in inventory. The San Francisco Examiner reporting the Bay Area pot shops frequently face mob robberies. There were 20 such mob robberies in San Francisco last year alone. Two Bay Area counties, Alameda and San Francisco, recorded some of the highest numbers of robberies and burglaries in the cannabis industry in the entire state, losses doubling year over year. And even the Craft Cannabis Coalition reports that one owner said his store was robbed at gunpoint three times in a matter of three weeks. Now, to argue that there's an uptick in crime overall is quite accurate. To argue that there is a failure of the criminal justice system to address this problem is quite accurate, I believe. There were probably few people that would argue that we're, we're, we're too soft on these times of crimes. But it doesn't negate the fact that this is the reality of the kind of criminal activity that these stores attract and will continue to attract. And to suggest the problem is not poor choice of placing this in a residential neighborhood and instead pivot and say, well, it's the fault of the DA. Really? I mean, that just seems to be uh, an easy out. And I don't think I, I will, with great sense of respect, agree to disagree with the council member that I don't think this is a matter of people being ignorant about how these stores operate. Yes, they have security, but you know what security does? They observe and they report. That's it. So if somebody thinks that just the presence of a security guard is going to make a difference, well, then few banks would ever be robbed because almost all of them have security guards. It's there to hopefully give a bit of a presence of a deterrent. But is it actually working? Well, look at the evidence in Union City alone. We're not cherry picking data from from across the country. It's in their own town. And yet there seems to be a great eagerness to put the blindfolds on and ignore 
the trends that are happening. And instead of saying, let's rethink this. And I wish we'd had time. I would have asked. So there were people that were in favor of this uh, and nobody nobody showed up in opposition. What was the perimeter of notification? I would suspect that it was very minuscule. And at the end of the day, the city council meeting spoke all that you needed to know when you saw every single local resident get up in protest to this. And the only individuals that spoke in favor of it were either recruited by the applicant, Ray Gonzalez, were employees of the applicant, friends of the applicant. And I think there was one person that actually lived in the neighborhood that spoke in favor of this. So it seems to be a case of this is not the city council making a bad decision. This is the city council being of the opinion, and I'm reading between the lines, the city council, those three votes that stood in favor of this, Jaime Patino, um, Scott um, Sakakihara, and uh, Mayor uh, Dutra, that this is the matter of the residents are just ignorant. The residents don't understand. They misunderstand this kind of business. Well, read the headline news, and I think you can pretty much conclude, and even the data that I've shared coming from the cannabis industry. Uh, one other quote that I'll share with you. The National Cannabis Risk Management Association reports that pot stores are taking the place of liquor stores and convenience stores as easier targets because they have lots of cash, limited security, and they sell a valuable product. That's not me. That's the National Cannabis Risk Management Association. That's the pot sellers admitting that. So if it's clear to the pot sellers and it's clear to the residents, kind of makes you wonder why it's not so clear to the city council. You're a resident of Union City and you do not agree with the conclusions drawn by Councilmember Patino, I invite you to reach out to him and uh, let your voice be heard. Maybe you weren't one of those that had a chance to speak up about all of this. You got a chance now, you can email him, Jaime P, that's uh, Jaime Patino, J-A-I-M-E, Jaime P for Patino, Jaime Patino at UnionCity.org. That's Jaime P at UnionCity.org. Six, I'm sorry, six, I moved the time, didn't I? 527. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Rogers. I, just a, a, a footnote, if I might, or a postscript here, talking off air with my uh, my esteemed engineer and our operations manager. He said, well, you know, the, the, the other marijuana store is located next to a Chevy's restaurant, and the manager of the restaurant is thrilled for the business. Really? So they don't object to people getting high, getting the munchies, and then going in and spending tons of money at their restaurant. Gee, I wonder why that is. I mean, that's the part of this that's so infuriating is the suggestion that the the voters are just stupid and ignorant. They don't know any better. They don't read the newspaper. They don't understand this business. And and, and, And the retailers nearby are all happy for it. Of course they're happy for it. It's bringing them business. Again, it's not the people that patronize these locations or even the people that operate these locations. It's the people that see these locations as easy marks and the kind of crime and violence that it brings. When it's in a commercial area, closed at night, very few people can be affected. When it's in a residential area, surrounded by families, senior citizens, children, it's a different story. 
that apparently the residents of Union City understand, but the city council, not much so. Okay, let's turn a corner and talk about other issues here. And boy, how's that, uh, Brooks Gibbs, for a setup? My dear friend, Dr. Brooks Gibbs, he is a best-selling author. He has a Ph.D. in social psychology. He speaks across the nation at thousands of schools to help kids better understand how to address the topic of bullying. And Brooks, as we welcome you in on the conversation, you know, I think it's important to to begin our dialogue by recognizing that there's been a lot of attempts. There have been efforts at passing anti-bullying laws and things of this sort. And and, and while much of it might perhaps hope to, to persuade a change in behavior by threatening people with consequences, um, even creating so-called anti-bullying zones or bully free zones that's always struck me as like you know a nuclear free zone yeah when they drop the bomb on san francisco we'll be sure that none of it hits the city of hayward because after all that's a nuclear free zone it seems to suggest i think perhaps that we're we're not really understanding what motivates the person who engages in the bullying behavior in the first place and i think if we can understand that we can better equip our kids who oftentimes turn out to be adults that are struggling with this very same issue that they can better understand how to respond thanks so much for having me craig so good to hear you again and that you're on top of the issues and informing your constituents it's always amazing uh you're you're very gifted and and you're right you know, we uh, we would like with some sort of policy or law be able to magically make, you know, aggression disappear. But all anti-bullying laws do is uh, make the schools liable to make bullying magically disappear. And I often chat with uh, schools. I'm in a new city every week. I'm always talking to parents and ad- administrators. And I say, you know, if you thesaurus the word bully and you replace it maybe with a similar word like jerk, the whole industry seems absurd like this is a no jerk zone no jerks allowed anti-jerk laws (laughs) and you know people are mean people are offended and when i started this work 23 years ago i remember meeting you and you helped me get started in the bay area i remember thinking man we need we need to be able to cure people of their offendability you know it's not what it's not what the jerk says it actually hurts our feelings, but it's what we think about what the jerk says. And so if we really focus on giving up the grip of our demands that no one has the right to be mean to me, no one has a right to exclude me, no one has a right to talk bad about me behind my back. If we as the targets of aggression give up the grip of our demand and become more indifferent and less histrionic or hysterical or catastrophic, then then we will help a child build up their emotional resilience so that they're unfazed by the inevitable jerk behavior of others. Well, you know, the irony, of course, is that there were a lot of, we talked about this last week, there were a lot of hurting people out there. There are a lot of angry people out there. We see it on display virtually every night in the evening news, on the freeway commute home, wherever it might be. And as much as we'd like to hope and pray that that will someday change, the reality is this is the world in which we live. We live in a fallen world, to put it in a spiritual context. And so many of the, many of the tools 
tools that you're providing children to use to address all of this and learn how to better respond to the bully are actually tools and resources that are going to serve them not only throughout their school career, but quite frankly, throughout life. Because the last time I checked, there was no shortage of the supply of bullies out there, whether they come in you know playground size uh, packages that are six years old or in their 50s and 60s and go by the name of boss or governor or whatever. That's so true. You know, as a social psychologist, I remember, you know, uh, thinking if I could teach children, then I could teach anybody. And, you know, I came out with a book recently called Squabbles Elements, and it teaches grown-ups really the fundamental elements of why people are mean and how to stop them. And then I give those grown-ups tools to teach children, so keeping it really simple. And, you know, one of the most important uh, points that I make in that book is that the person that you're calling a bully may actually be a comedian they're making a joke and it's at your expense you see them as a com- you see them as a bully they see themselves as a comedian or maybe the person you're dealing with you know you think is a bully but actually they feel like a victim they're upset with you because you did something that violated their you know boundary and so they're retaliating or maybe they're just trying to provoke you you know, they're trying to have psychological power over you like an annoying brother or sister. Or finally, maybe they're just criticizing you. They actually want to help you improve. So they're pointing out an area of improvement, but you take that as a sign of aggression. And when we can boil these down to the elements of aggression, the squabbles elements is what I call them, then then it, it kind of demystifies the, the, uh, the, the bully humanoid that we make up in our mind that seems an insurmountable obstacle in our life and the source of all our misery. It's almost the equivalent of um, declawing the angry big cat. You know, they'll, they'll take the claws out of a tiger so that it is less likely to, to cause harm. And in a sense, this this on an emotional level then kind of declaws. It may not change their behavior, but it's how we react to that behavior, as you're suggesting. Now, we'll make a line of uh, demarcation here that if we're talking about bullying where it turns violent, that's a different story. But when we're talking about words, we can really choose what we do with those, can't we? Yes, it is so important to differentiate objective and subjective harm. So objective harm is stuff that happens to my body or my property. But subjective harm happens to my feelings. And that's why I can't haul my annoying brother or sister to court and say, she hurt my feelings, throw her in prison. And the judge is going to look at me and say, well, uh, where's the law? You know, where, where's where's the crime that's been committed? Because it's not what my brother or sister or my neighbor or my coworker says to me that actually bothers me. It's what I think about what they say. And Albert Ellis, if you remember him, uh, he had the great ABC theory of emotions. He says, A, someone's aggressive. They say, I don't like you. A C, you immediately have an emotional consequence that hurt my feelings. But it's not what they said, A, that that created C, your emotional consequence. In between A and C is the letter B. It's your belief system. And if Mm. you believe they have no right, they ought not, should not, must not, better not, well, the more demanding you are, the more disturbing you will be. But But if you say, you know what? They're a jerk. They've always been a jerk. As long as I've known them, they've been a jerk. Why would I expect them to be any different? And in fact, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to upset me. <laughs> I can play this game. I'm not going to get upset. Man, that's empowering. So if they operate in under the B approach, 
um, we we kind of plant the stake in the ground and say, that's it. This is the line. Thou shalt not cross it. We essentially push back. And, and that oftentimes, I would imagine, would kind of escalate the behavior because now it's almost as if you're challenging them. And in many cases, they're going to likely try to respond in kind. And, and no wonder that this can kind of go up the stepladder of, of anger and really boil over into perhaps even violence because we're, we're, we're kind of deciding you don't have a right to treat me like this and I'm going to push back on you. And that seems to me, in in one fashion or another, almost a form of that we're we're instead of instead of um, defending ourselves, we're actually escalating it. Am I right? Yeah, I think you are right. It, it, one of the elements is uh, is power or bothering, or hmm. provocateuring, and so if they're trying to provoke you into a fight, you know, then they're probably going to use words. I don't like you. And then you go back at them and say, well, I don't like you. And then they say, well, I don't like your mom. And you're like, what did you say about my mom? See, in our belief system, we have a rigid demand that someone may not like me and that's okay. But if they say something mean to me about my mom, well, then that's absolute zero tolerance. And so I give them a push because I disturbed myself by my rigid beliefs that they have no right to talk bad about my my mom. And I just played into their hand. You know, they wanted to evoke out of me a negative reaction. And when I gave them that, I gave them the satisfaction. Now they can claim that I physically aggressed them, Mm. that I aggrieved them, that I provoked them when they were the provocateurs. And so this is the classic who started what, who said what. That's why when kids get in fights at school, they both get in trouble because it doesn't matter. They both were offended and they both got into a physical altercation because they weren't resilient. Now, I'm I'm curious, Dr. Gibbs, from the standpoint of intervention. I mean, oftentimes we'll hear parents say, well, we need to have a teacher present so they can intervene or there needs to be somebody that can immediately pull the two kids apart or or, you know, try to create peace, detente, whatever you want to call it. And and while that might be in the fantasy world, uh, (laughs) quite a lovely thought, it does not play out often in reality, you're certainly not going to have a guard there hovering over your child 24-7. And then, of course, when they are no longer your young son or daughter, but they've gone off on their own, as I said in the beginning, we I think we kind of concluded that bullies are around us everywhere at every age, at every stage of life. And so I guess even the notion of, well, we're just going to take the approach that intervention will be important. And, and there might be some degree to which that can be valuable. But overall, how how effective is that really? There's an old saying that says, you, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach him how to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And so uh, if we look at intervention as hovering and coddling and cuddling the child, policing the hallways and making sure that you know they're not going to be in any situation of harm, uh, that's not in touch with reality. Plus, that creates a couple things. Number one, it creates learned helplessness. So the child always believes that they need a... Uh, a hall monitor to be able to go from class to class. And the second thing it does is it creates, uh, unfortunately, entitlement that I'm entitled to an environment without mean people, mm. which actually weakens the child. Now, certainly, you know, if a child is complaining about having uh, their feelings hurt, being picked on or teased, being made fun of, excluded, pushed or shoved, but there's no pain, and maybe talked about behind their back, these are the four categories of aggression found in the elements well you know the best thing that i can do as a as a helper an educator a parent a psychologist is to teach them why people are mean 
and give them the tools to respond. And one of those tools is actually, before they respond, not getting offended in the first place. Oh, you want to talk about my mom? <laughs> I'll talk about her, too. You know, she's so fat, she sat on Skittles and popped out a rainbow. What do you got? You know, like if we can, if we could help a child understand that you don't have to get upset, man, they're going to suffer less. Some insights today with Dr. Brooks gives his latest book called Squabbles Elements, Why People Are Mean and How to Stop Them. We're going to take a brief time out. When we come back, most parents approach parenting as it relates to raising their children as your job to protect them. But does that oftentimes fall short? I'll explain what I mean, and we'll get a direct answer from Dr. Brooks Gibbs, author of Squabbles Elements, Why People Are Mean and How to Stop Them, as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with Dr. Brooks Gibbs, best-selling author, his latest called Squabbles Elements, Why People Are Mean and How to Stop Them. Dr. Gibbs, I'm curious. Most parents, I think, as they approach parenting, and I think it's a natural approach, um, have the sense that they want to protect their kids. I mean, how often do we refer to mom as mama bear? Mama's going to protect the cubs, right? But I think what I'm hearing you argue here is that what's problematic is that as much as you want to protect your kids from bullying, that probably isn't the right approach. What you're advocating for is not necessarily that you're going to somehow hover over them and always protect them, but rather to prepare them to deal with bullies, because as we've articulated, this is going to be a lifelong skill that's going to take them through not just the playground at sixth grade, but through the entirety of life. Yeah. Imagine a parent saying, I want to protect my child from math problems. You know, it it would make any sense. Like they need that skill to balance their checkbook. Uh, I don't know what it is these days. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's the modern checkbook? Their their bank account, their, their, their app. And, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, we train our children for those problems. But what about the fourth R? Relationships. There's going to be relational problems. And considering that half of all marriages end in, end in divorce, I mean, I mean that's, that's like a... It's not because people are nice to each other. It's because people are mean to each other. They get offended by each other. They don't know how to navigate difficult relationships. So it's amazing to me that we don't have classes dedicated to basic social skills and conflict resolution skills. I'm I'm thankful for many of the social and emotional learning uh, and the character education efforts. I, I, I mean, that's what I do for a living. I work with schools and they... They uh, show kids our program, you know, in our curriculum through those um, kind of routes of education. But the problem is there's not a dedicated class. And so I think our country needs to go a lot further to uh, to teach children, you know, why people are mean and, and how to solve those problems so that. So that you don't feel helpless. Nothing's worse than feeling helpless. Well, and there's another issue here that maybe you can uh, kind of peel back the layers on for us, too, to get a better understanding. We articulated early the notion that we see all around us road rage. You cut somebody off. There is likely to flip you the bird is to pull out a gun these days. Uh, We've all seen the YouTube videos of a screaming Karen at the airport who's angry that her flight got canceled. And she, you know, wants the head of the president of the airline and and all of these related issues where we see 
there's a confrontation of some sort, maybe even true bullying taking place where it's unprovoked, but yet there it is. And, and oftentimes what seems to be kind of the hallmark of what leads it to really spiral out of control, even oftentimes to the point of violence, is it, it escalates. And the one thing that they're teaching the police departments now, when they come into scenarios and situations, be it domestic violence or whatever the case might be, that the most important thing that they can do as early as possible is to de-escalate the situation so that we can all kind of take a deep breath. Is that an important skill here, too, so that you, you don't respond to the bully in kind and see it, you know, kind of walk up the steps of the ladder before you know it? We're both at each other's throats. Yeah, I think the dumbest thing the anti-bullying movement did is they categorized people in two categories, bully and victim, which assumes innocent and guilty. Mm. But that is really rarely ever the case. In fact, almost all, um, well, I would say bullying behavior, almost all of it, the ones that I deal with with educators and students at, at school is actually victim behavior. You know, uh, a principal will, in, you know, introduce me to like the school bully. This is a kid that really caused a lot of problems. I want you to spend some time with them, Dr. Brooks. And I said, all right. I said, so uh, are you a bully? And he says, I'm not a bully. I said, well, well, then why did you do this to that guy and say that to that girl? Because he did this to me and she said this to me. I said, oh, so you're a victim? Yes, I'm a victim. It's amazing how everyone thinks the other one is the bully, mm. but they identify as a victim. So when it comes to intervention or de-escalation, you have to start with the premise that both or all parties identify as victims. And victims are the most dangerous people on planet Earth. People who identify as a victim take guns to school or they turn guns on themselves. It's the worst act of violence are committed by people who feel like victims and we need to protect ourselves from dangerous people that identify as victims. That's why I believe we need a victim-proof people, help cure them of their offendability so that they don't take this little negative comment that insulted them and blow it up into a massive, big, all-out war. You know, and I think what's what's troubling about this is as we kind of look at the, the, the social construct around all of this and we put that in the context of modern day education, modern day entertainment, et cetera, et cetera watched your parents model it or as a young child. And again, w without being able to come in short circuit this victimist, victim approach to life and learned instead to how to better manage this, it, a lot of it comes down to relational management, doesn't it? You know, it is many times learned behavior, but it's not strictly learned behavior. We, we all want stuff. And when we don't get what we want, we're upset about it. Or we don't want stuff. And when we get what we don't want, we get upset about it. And so it's really uh, it, a child comes by nature with a desire to get his or her desires fulfilled. And when they don't get what they want or they get what they don't want, they throw a temper tantrum. So that's not a learned behavior necessarily. That is simply a uh, biological reaction, probably somewhere in the amygdala or limbic system, the emotional kind of seat of the brain. And, uh, you don't get those higher reasoning, governing skills where you're smarter than your emotions. And so I, I think that, yes, when parents do not model 
adjusting to harsh realities, you know, not getting what they want and realizing, you know what, that's okay. Maybe there's another thing or maybe I'll wait for it. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe it's good that I don't get it. When parents don't model this well-adjusted uh, skill set, then they never, uh, I guess, get out of their narcissism. And, and it's it's really sad in the culture that we live in. As you know, man, that uh, there's a term today called intersectionalism that says the more victim cards you have, the more you identify as this, that, the other, as a minority group, the more... Well, the more moral authority you have hmm. and, and, and the more rights you have and, and the more woke you should be and the more angry and anger has become somewhat of a virtue in this country, which is uh, which is the last thing we want to identify as victims and reward those who identify as victims. Well, and a lot of this is all born out of, uh, as well, a, a sense of entitlement, isn't it? I mean, we hear a lot about entitlement programs at the federal level, but I'm talking about the kind of entitlement that says, I'm entitled to be treated nice, I'm entitled to be treated with respect, I'm entitled to get my way, I'm entitled to be treated as number one all the time. I mean, it, it, at the core, of course, there is, there is such a, a, a sin dynamic to this in our fallen sin nature that helps us to understand a, a lot of the genesis of this attitude and behavior. But but doesn't that sense of entitlement, you know, so-and-so didn't do what I wanted them to do, and so I'm going to be angry and I'm going to lash out, and I guess there's a lot of circumstances where that can evolve into bullying. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, I, think, I think the philosophy of life that my mentor taught me, Izzy Kalman, he says, this is... Gen Z and Alpha Generation, uh, this is what they're being told today. You are entitled to a, to live in a world without mean people. And if people are mean to you, their attitude has nothing to do with you, your behavior, or your attitude. In fact, people's negative responses to you and your behavior are entirely their fault. And it's not your responsibility to, to do anything to get people to stop being mean to you just inform the authorities it's their job to make mean people stop doing what you don't like now no school of psychology would endorse such a philosophy of removing personal responsibility and shifting it to others no we are responsible for how we feel and how we respond to the things that we don't like and that is uh, being lost today, unfortunately. Yeah, and it goes back to our earlier discussion that if we have the necessary skills to be able to go in and de-escalate a circumstance when somebody has been the instigator of whatever the event, the comment might be, instead... We respond in kind because that sort of entitlement attitude kicks in and we immediately go into victim mode. And is it any wonder then that we live in a society today where somebody who doesn't get their way is as likely to, to walk away mad or upset as they are to pick up something and hit you over the head with it? Yes. You know, <laughs> I think of sometimes the uh, Chris Rock, you know, he, when he um, pointed out Will Smith's wife and made a joke, uh, and she is alopecia and she's balding, and and uh, and basically he says some GI Joe joke, and and there Will Smith took offense, you know, to it and got up and responded to a verbal uh, humor motivated insult with a physical slap, demanding that he has no right to mention his 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 wife's name and i'm like wow that you know that 
that is exactly apropos of what our culture is. And, and when I think about what did they do 3,000 years ago? You know, because people problems have been around forever. I mean, you have to look at Cain and Abel for crying out loud. I mean, people have been offended and wanted to retaliate. Uh, and retaliation is almost always worse than the original provocation. So, so what's missing? Well, we have the golden rule. And I am, the older I get and the more I study the golden rule, the more I am humbled by it because it attacks or targets our instinctive reaction to do unto others as they do to us. That's called reciprocity. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You're mean to me, I'll be mean to you. And because that's such a natural impulse for humans, we had to have this maxim for living given to us by God to work against that. Treat others, not the way they treat you, but treat them the way you want to be treated. And what most people don't know about the golden rule is that it was only invented to help us deal with mean people. It wasn't there to teach us how to be nice to nice people. It was given to us as a given to us as a tool to know how to respond to people who are nice, who are treating us the way we don't want to be treated. Well, then do the opposite and train them how to treat you. It is such a wonderful Proverbs 15 example, Uh, the the old adage that a kind word or a kind answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, and it creates the escalation that we've been talking about today. Preparing your kids, protecting them is a natural reaction, but the real job, the real responsibility of a parent is to prepare a child for life. And many of the most critical skills that they're lacking today in society in general are the very issues that we're discussing today with Dr. Brooks Gibbs. A look at squabbles elements, why people are mean, and how to stop them. I love the title. And you can get information about ordering the book online by simply going to squabbles.com. That's squabbles.com. We're going to have Brooks back for another visit. And uh, Brooks, as always, it is an honor to spend some time with you and uh, so proud of what you're doing and how you're helping folks. And I hope people that have listened to this conversation today have learned something from it and can then pass those critical skills on to your children so that they will be healthy, well-balanced adults and not be victims. Squabbles, elements, why people are mean and how to stop them. The book available online at squabbles.com. Our thanks to Dr. Brooks Gibbs, its author, for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.